Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bane, step back three. Bango! It's the Core 4 Podcast on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. Joined as always by Xavier and Dave. I am Matthew Gill. And guys, the Memphis Grizzlies dropped game one to the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to break it all down throughout the show, and it might get a little dark, might get a little negative. So let's start out on a more positive note. Xavier, you were in the building. How was the atmosphere for game one? Electric. It's always electric in the grindhouse during form, during playoff times, man. You know, although it was a lot of Lakers fans, man, every time LeBron shot a free throw or he did something, you know, pretty to get the crowd riling and, and booing them, and the boos outweighed the cheers. So I know Lakers fans were sort of feeling some type of way about that, although they did win. But it was a great environment. Man, I really just – this is just the second year in a row I go to a playoff game and they don't pull out with the W. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I will go to another one because – it is, it is a, uh, it's a similar path with the Grizzlies. They always drop the game once if you look back historically. So, and that brings a little big, uh, you know, be optimistic about this because, I mean, last year they dropped both game ones in, in the Minnesota series and in the Warriors series. I went to that Minnesota game and that one stung like, boy, leaving that arena, it, it, it's, it's strong as like, fans. And it, this one was a stinger here, but I'm really, Optimistic heading towards game two, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if I can make game two, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, you got uh, a lot of weight on your shoulders. You got to get a Grizzlies playoff W under your belt in the arena. All right, Xavier sounds pretty optimistic about things moving forward, as he said. Uh, but, Dave, what about you? Sometimes you could be a little bit more salty. You might be salty Dave today. I don't really know. We didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of pre-show talk because I wanted to save it all for the show. But let's just do a quick check-in with Dave on what's your panic level, 1 to 10, right now after game one. Well, people like to listen to a show about affirmation, not information, right? So I have to temper my comments a little bit. Frankly, I picked Lakers in five before the series. I'm a little bit on the different level there and some people who, uh, for their predictions of the series. I thought it was a bad matchup for the Grizzlies coming in. I think the Lakers are a much better team than a seven seed, uh, certainly since they re- reworked the roster. And I just thought it was a bad matchup for us down uh, a couple bigs up front. And and now that Ja, I don't know if he's going to play in game two. I, I haven't heard an update today. It's not great, guys. I mean, I, I we're, we're going to get a Dylan Brooks game in here somewhere where he – you know, and, and I, I think we're getting a Jaron game in here somewhere where he fouls out early. I, I He was amazing, by the way, in game one. I mean, if there's one thing that made awesome. me sleep pretty good after after the game one loss was Jaron Jackson Jr. was fantastic. And and that for this series and also going forward is such a, a big development. He was great. But, Matt, my panic level was high. I, I, you know, you hear all the time, oh, don't worry, it's not our time, it's not our window. You know, our window's not till 2025. I, I don't, I never buy into that, as you know. I thought our weaknesses were, were dramatically exposed. Uh, and, and I'd like to say one thing to you guys um, before it slips my mind. So now that job ja may or may not play in game two and go for it, would it be nice to have Kennedy Chandler on this team now? I mean, who's our backup point guard? This, this, this kid, Gilliard, that just came up from the hustle? I mean, it's just kind of interesting how Ja has these injury concerns and we got rid of Chandler like five minutes before the playoffs. That timing came back to be strange to me. I had it written down in my notes as well. I think it's a great transition. Let's just do the playoff rotations now. We had kind of talked about it 
uh, in last week's show. Let's just bang it out for this week as well now. I'm with you. It, it, it may really come back to haunt this team. Think about the first show we did after the draft. The number one thing we came away with, like we were kind of – like we were high on Roddy, obviously – uh, and, and LaRavia, I thought, could be the best rookie out of the three of them. But what did we have? What was our main takeaway from Kennedy Chandler's pick? He was jaw insurance for this exact moment. And now they don't have him. Uh, you know, Lofton doesn't play at all in that game against the Lakers. And that may really come back to bite him now, depending on what the length of this injury is. It looks like confirmed for sure, but not actually confirmed right now. Like, just from what I gather, he's not going to play game two. Xavier, what is your kind of take on that as, as the, the, the flag waiver for Kenny Lofton? Now it may really come back to bottom that they don't have a second point guard. I mean, we've seen this year without Ja a lot, whether it was injuries or, you know, with the suspension. And as much as Ja was out, it wasn't a lot of Kennedy Chandler minutes. A lot of his minutes did come from, like, during garbage time. I know it would be a little bit more comfortable having a, a specific backup point guard because Gilliard can't play because he's on a two-way contract. He wouldn't be able to play at all during the playoffs. Desmond Bain has been a phenomenal sort of backup point guard in situations when John Morant is out. So most likely we're going to see Desmond Bain run with the second group. Ties, of course, he always elevates the game. But it's always a trend in a sense this season when there has been panic when John Morant is out, when he goes out. It's always a panic for Grizzly fans and uh, others thinking, wow, well, John Moran's out. How does the ship want to sell? Typically, Ty's always steps up. Jaren elevates his play. Bang, backs us up. So, I'm, I mean, I'm still feeling confident. I know that the Kenny Lofton, like we did cut Kennedy Chandler and to bring Kenny Lofton due to the fact we were short on the front court situation. But, I mean, I, I saw a very disciplined, different Jaron Jackson Jr. last night. I was honestly so, 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 so surprised and impressed by his game last night. And I'm looking forward for him to, you know, be mature, stay out of foul trouble, and hopefully lead us to a victory game too. But as far as, you know, backup point guard concerns, um, I mean, like I said, I feel like Desmond Bain has done a phenomenal job at, at his role of being a backup point guard. And I, I really just see that the Grizzlies are going to take cautious of him they feel like they could get the win, at least at home, game two, due to the fact we've got the home crowd advantage with us and probably prepare him for game three where it's hostile territory in which you most likely need your best superstar there. So so I want to ask you guys this because it, it, my one, one big thought after the game and reading all the information about John Morant was he has to know his availability is critical to this series. Why is he charging head first and, and throwing himself like a torpedo at Anthony Davis in game one? It, you know, it, it was kind of a stupid play, I just have to say. He has to know his availability is important. We don't need John Moran acting like a football running back all the time into these big dudes. Davis is enormous. And the, the play just seemed kind of reckless and silly. And it's like, oh, come on. Like that, I mean, obviously he didn't try to get hurt. But the play itself is not a smart basketball play. Xavier, I, I thought about you the minute it happened because you said beginning the season, one thing you really wanted to see from John Morant was what? The floater, the pull-up. Why didn't he just pull up there from eight feet and drop it instead of, like, launching himself into Davis? It just it just seems like a play, like, it leaves me scratching my head. Like, you know there's, your availability is the, so important to this team. He has to protect himself better than that. 
Yeah, yeah um, most certainly. You know, yeah, I talked about it earlier, you know, this season, how much I wanted Jaw to develop the floater and stick with a mid-range game. But I really feel like that he always looked for those big plays that just be a momentum shifter. I know that was like heading – where did he get injured? Was it the fourth quarter? Like, yeah. was it midway through the fourth quarter? I thought it was the third quarter. Am I wrong on it that? The- no, it was, it was, it was 105-101 with about five minutes to go in the game. Okay. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. so things were shifting towards the Lakers. I know he had a big dunk last year, you know, Beasley. He catched the bodies on some of those bigs and, and whatnot. But ironically, we know Anthony Davis is a defensive player of the year type of big, and he's not going to let anything easily come inside the paint. So, yeah, he has to use his head right there. Um, and then as well, I don't see why he's – I understand you still want to be aggression, but – Prior before the injury, you know you had an injury to your hand. So you don't want to put that in even more jeopardy, which he did now. So it's like you have to make those smart decisions of being when to be aggressive and when not to be aggressive. You're wide open to the lane. Yeah, go ahead and be aggressive. Take the, the easy slam or, or whatnot. But in those cases, you have to you think about it. Your hand is already messed up. Take the floater or take the mid-range. Your shot was falling. He made two threes. So – I don't know. Going forward, I feel like he probably most likely will miss game two. But game three, we're going to need him because we're in hostile territory, and guys, and you need your superstars for that game. Yeah, they're going to need him no matter what um, to win this series. If not, they're going to be in real trouble. I, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, my main takeaway, especially from that first half, and I think it kind of speaks to what you guys are talking about. Like he just was being too aggressive in that moment. I thought he was pretty passive, to be honest, especially on the offensive side of the floor to start the game, especially in the first half. Like, he was extremely efficient and very effective when he had the ball, but there were so many possessions where he was just standing in the corner, yeah. and a lot of it had to do with Jared Vanderbilt picking him up from 94 feet. But, like, dude, you're the best player. That's going to happen to you. Like, it's happened to every superstar their entire lives when they're playing in the playoffs. You can't just let that – you can't just be like, all right, throw your hands up and be like, all right, we're just going to play four on four now because Jerry Vanderbilt's locking me up. And to his credit, he did a lot of the smaller things that you don't see Ja do a lot. He was doing a lot of off-ball screening. He had that great uh, defensive play where he goes up and, and you know, goes up with the law of verticality on Rui Hachimura, forces that traveling violation. He picked off an outlet pass that was going to be an easy bucket for the Lakers in transition. He made himself effective in different ways, but he was just so passive, I felt like, to start that game. And then when you get into the second half, when the game is tight, that's when Ja, we've seen so many times throughout the season, if he is a little bit more passive in the first half, in that second half is usually when he takes over. And I think it got to him a little bit to where he was like, all right, I do have to, like Xavier said, make a huge highlight play that's going to, one, fire up the crowd and also my teammates. And I think he kind of lost sight of the moment, like you're talking about, Dave, and was not, not thinking about the long term of, you know, I have to be able to play not just every game this series, but for three, four series, if they're going to be, you know, reach their ceiling as a team, in my opinion. Well, it's a little bit like Lamar Jackson learning to run out of bounds, right? In the NFL, running quarterback, just protect your body, get out of bounds sometimes. Running quarterbacks in the NFL, when they come into the league, they try to pick up that extra two or three yards and get whacked by a linebacker. Then they realize, oh, maybe I'll just run out of bounds. I just, just He's just not big, right, compared to an NBA player. There, there was one other um, – I have to say, you know, it's Santi playing 24 minutes in his minus 23 on the plus minus makes you scratch your head. This might not be a great series for him when we're talking about rotations. But there's one other moment in the game, and I love Tyus. But, and, 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 Xavier, you played a lot of basketball, right? 
And yeah. from the time you were probably like six, seven years old, the coaches tell you don't save the ball under the opposing team's basket. That was bad. And the score was 56-52 Grizzlies. The ball's going out. Tyus, what are you doing? He saves it. The Lakers missed the three, but LeBron got the rebound and put it in for an and one. And now it's 56-55. Like, just let the ball go out of bounds. And it's 56-52. You set your defense up. And see, against Charlotte, there you go, in November, that doesn't matter. But in the playoffs, all those little things add up. And again, as much as I love Tyson, like, it was a really bad play. And, and it kept, you know, gave LeBron a three-point play, and, and now we're up by one, and every point matters. It's like, these are the kind of things, we talk about the maturity of the team. These are the kind of plays that veterans who have been there, like the Warriors, where I still think they're going to come out of the West, even though they lost game one, they don't make those kinds of plays in big moments. And, and that, that, I, that hurt my heart for Tyus because I, I, otherwise he was pretty good. Yeah, huge part of the team for sure. Uh, while we are kind of still talking about the rotations here, Xavier, you look at the bench, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it is Luke, it's Tyus, it's Santi, and then uh, Roddy was kind of the other sub that was in the game. What kind of stuck out to you from uh, what Taylor Jenkins was looking at from his bench perspective, and what do you think he could change going forward? Uh, I mean, I don't think the bench played, like, terrible. Um, they gave some good effort in the first half. Santi made some uh, – knocked down a couple of good threes. Um, although Luke wasn't, like, you know, ha had his crazy Nardo games, he has made some decent shots. Um, I, I'll say this, though. I'm honestly wanting Taylor Jenkins to play David Roddy a lot yeah. more. Um, I made a tweet earlier. This series here, without Steven Adams, there's nobody else that's basically that enforcer or that aggression that you're looking out there on the, on the court for the Grizzlies with brute strength. And I see a little bit with the Grizzlies, they sort of – Faded away because, you know, the Lakers came in with emphasis. They brought a, a lot of strength and, and wanted to make an impact immediately, showing that they can assert their dominance game one. And with David Roddy, the way that he just built, he always hustles hard. He wants to, to show Taylor Jenkins he deserves to be out there. I feel like in a situation, they're not going to put their best defender on David Roddy. Most likely it's going to be an Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell. Mm -hmm. That's easy work for, for David Roddy to score going straight into the paint. I just want him to be cautious because, you know, they might take a charge. But it should be easy working as well. A big, a big problem for the Grizzlies is, I mean, allowing teams to get offensive rebounds. Like the, the Lakers killed us on the glass. Right? David Roddy, he's going to take up a lot of space. If he has somebody boxed out, I'm pretty sure nobody's going to be able to swim, move him, or get around him. I don't feel like David Roddy, I'm not going to say that he's the key, but Taylor Jenkins should at least have a, a longer leash on him during this playoffs, especially now that Jai's out. Yeah, I think the physicality that he can bring could be a big thing, especially in a series where rebounding is obviously – um, going to be paramount. I want to say, or, before we move on, speaking of the physicality, I, th I thought the my, my biggest worry coming into the series was how the games were going to be officiated. And I thought that they were pretty physical, honestly, on both ends. And I thought the refs 
really let them play and go at it. And I, I really didn't have a problem with any of the officiating from this game. I thought it was pretty solid, to be honest. And and across the league, across the board, extremely physical games this first uh, round and first, you know, set of games that we saw. Well, but like like uh, my friends like to say, nobody plays defense in the NBA. All right, all right. Like if, if you watch the games, the, the, it, there were some block shots from the Lakers too. That like the athleticism is just incredible. We saw it in, in the Memphis Lakers game, we, and, and as you mentioned, Matt, we saw it across the league. The physicality, the the intensity of the playoffs, and and the way they protect the rim, it it just takes your breath away sometimes. Jaron leading the charge there. Yeah, and I, I think we've spent this whole segment and started the show just dumping on the on the Grizzlies, but the Lakers did play pretty well. Anthony Davis, in particular, you talking about protecting the rim, man. They got nothing off on AD. Like he was so good, uh, and, and really did it on both ends for them, and was a huge part of that. Uh, let's move on here. Let's kind of talk about some more adjustments the Grizzlies can make uh, from an X's and O's perspective in Xavier's X's and O's. All right, Xavier's X's and O's game two is going to be Wednesday. Still going to be in Memphis. Xavier, what you know? We talk about David Roddy in the last time, and you know, there's going to be no job most likely in game two. What can some of these other guys do to step up and fill those shoes and take this, take their game to the next level and give them a chance to win in game two? Yeah, like I said, since most likely there's not going to be John Morant, Ty, Ty Jones is going to be inserted to the starting slot. And like I said one, in the last segment, when crisis start to come for the Grizzlies, Ty Jones has always been an over-liable win and always tells us, like, to calm down, I got us. And we're going to see a lot of ball movement when Ty's, when Ty's Jones is out there offensively. Not saying there wasn't any ball movement in the last game because the Grizzlies finished with – I mean, 19 assists, but we're going to see a lot of more ball movement because, you know, Tyus Jones isn't the type of guy to go knee deep inside the paint and kick it out. We're going to see a lot of sets run for Jaron Jackson offensively, and I really want to see Luke Kennard get going, get going. A big reason we know that the Grizzlies are sort of going to get out-rebounded every game without Steven Adams. And a big reason why the Grizzlies went on a late run with winning is because their three-point percentage was up. That counters the offensive rebounding. If we're able to knock down those threes, that would help us a lot to, to counter the offensive rebounding if we're going to give up offensive rebounds. Luke Kennard is going to have to make threes. Desmond Bain is going to have to make threes. And as well, we all see what happened last night with the Lakers role players of Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. <laughs> like, they both had some career games for their first playoffs debut. You just cannot allow your the Lakers role players to go off. I understand we're putting so much emphasis on trying to stop LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But at the same time, though, we know what they're capable of doing. We're going to allow – you can sort of allow them to get theirs. We know that they're going to put up at least 20. But you can't have 20 – from Austin Reeves. You can't have 20 from Rui Hachimura. A lot of times, Jaron Jackson always, he always be in a, in a help position when he guards the, the guys that's basically not good three-point shooters. We saw it one, the, a few games before when they played against the Pelicans. He saved off Herb Jones. Herb Jones that they end up scoring, make end up draining like five threes. In reality, Jaron, if you see your opposing player make two threes, it's time for you to step up on them. At the end of the day, they're NBA players. They're, they're bound to have a good game and good night. And they have to know about that against those role players that they're facing against every single night. 
I thought D'Angelo Russell was even effective for the Lakers, oh. 19 and seven. And he can be a head scratcher sometimes too, but he, he was sort of stable at the beginning of the game and gave them some good minutes. Xavier, I was glad you mentioned uh, David Roddy in the last segment. You know, the guy's got six fouls. Let's use them. I mean, I wouldn't use him to be banging on LeBron. And we don't, I don't think need to necessarily double LeBron every time he gets the ball. I mean, I felt like at the beginning of the game, guys, the Lakers missed a lot of wide open threes. But they were there. The shots were there. And I didn't feel the whole game that we did a good job defending the three-point line. You have to double. In fact, if they're going to double AD, the, the doubles have to come quick, too. I felt sometimes like they were soft double teams on AD. And then, like, doubling the run. Let AD get 30. But to your point, you can't let Huey Rachamora, you know, forget that he used to play for the Wizards. You know, I mean, come on. Like, he just – he was he was great. He was great in this game, and it really, really hurt. Uh, and so, I think you make great points there, too. Um, the, the only thing I want to say, too, Matt, on, on the X and O piece is when John is out, everyone else has to step up. But sometimes Dylan Brooks can take that as, like, oh, good, it's Dylan Brooks time. <laughs> yeah, it's me time. Yeah, yeah it's me. Little, I'm getting a little me time out uh, there tonight. I'm going to eat, right? Dylan's yeah. going to eat. And and if he's got it going, okay. But I, I, I hope he plays within himself in the context of the team and doesn't try to take up too much of that slack because he can and you can go off the rails a little bit. Yeah, he was walking a fine line, I thought, even yesterday between – like there were some moments where I was like, oh, Dylan, Dylan's about to go off. He's about to get up six shots in a row. Um, and, yeah, that's all, always a factor going into this next game as well. Uh, I'm with you, Xavier. Need more out of Luke Kennard. I, I think it has to be a minimum of eight three-point attempts from him in this next game. Uh, make or miss, but he's just too good of a shooter to, to only be taking four of them uh, in a must-win game, you know, the first game of a series. I mean, not must-must-win, obviously, but you want to win game one. You're at home. You're in a seven-game series against a team that, you know, you're going to have to cut their head off to win, and I, I think you need guys like Luke Kennard who have proven themselves at this point. Like, you gotta you got to take those shots, and, and you got to make them as well. Uh, going back to the Rui Hachimori thing, I'm with you guys. Like, you know, they were treating him as though he was Ben Simmons. He's a little bit better than that. But, like, that was clearly the game plan, and Desmond Bain said as much. Like, that was their plan. Let this guy try and beat us. He happened to do so. I I, I think that, you know, what you say, Dave, the, the soft doubles, doubling, you know, all, you know, all the time, whatever it's going to be, I think the defensive game plan is going to look completely different in this game, too. I don't think what they did really worked. As you said, they did not defend the three-point line very well at all, and their benefit is having the defensive player of the year under the basket and, and running guys off the three-point line and let Jaron do what he does and and defend the rim for you. So I think it's going to look a lot different from an X's and O's standpoint, really on the defensive side of the ball. Like, we, we talk about the offense so much and how this team can create offense, which they struggle to do at times. I think the defense is going to look completely different. And, you know, if they're going to let the series be physical, as I just talked about, the officiating, like, that kind of plays, in my opinion, to the to the Grizzlies' benefit. Like, if they're going to let Dylan and Jaron play hard and, and, you know, maybe get away with a couple things that they wouldn't during the regular season, like, I, th I think that that could help them out in the series. They're just going to have to be more, um, you know, a lot more aggressive on the defensive end. Yeah, uh, they have to be more aggressive. There's no reason for yeah. Austin Reeves to go off if this is his debut. You got to push him and, and enforce him and understand, like, this is playoff basketball, man. Like, we got to punish him. There's no way he should have scored 20 – how many points he had? 29? No, that was – no, he had 23. There's no way he should have had 23 points. And I understand, yes, he's he's established himself as a pretty good role player, and he's probably most likely going to get a nice payday this upcoming season. But at the, it, you just have to play him a lot more physical. And that's why I feel like David, Rod, David Roddy will come in so – 
so perfectly now because you know he's going to bring the intensity and he has that body frame. A lot of people don't want to match up against him with that body frame. I would love to see him on LeBron James, to be honest, because I don't think LeBron will, able, will be able to penetrate as easily against David Roddy. And he's, that's the thing. Like, David Roddy is so versatile. He has the speed as well. He has that big body. So, like, you could put him on different matchups. You could put him on possibly Anthony Davis if somebody is in foul trouble. You could put him on LeBron. Or you can put him on like a smaller person like D'Angelo Russell. So I'm looking forward to seeing if, if Taylor Jenkins is going to trust David Roddy a little bit more this upcoming game. Well, I had a, a lot of friends, of course, message me today, you know, here in the, the D.C. area. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You still like the Grizzlies in the series type of thing. And, and, and my one friend said, what is Memphis's biggest offseason move, regardless of how far they go this year? So let's say they, they go win the championship or they, they lose in five to Lakers. And I, I said, I really think the biggest thing is to get John Morant's head right uh, and just have him feel like John Morant. I mean, you, you know, Matt, you talked about some kind of being passive early in the game. X and O wise, he was kind of standing in the corner and then late a game, a little overly aggressive, but more concerning, even in the hand injury. Did you guys hear some of his quotes after the game? It just doesn't sound like himself. And, and so I, I think the biggest thing going into the next year, all this stuff is great, but if John Morant doesn't feel like the all-star player that he is and the leader of this franchise emotionally, I think we have a much bigger problem than anything the Lakers are going to throw at us in this series. I think it's a real problem. I, I didn't like the quotes after the game when he was like, you know, just another thing, just another, like, you know, that's concerning to me, guys. It really is. I, I think it's a lot of frustration building up with John Morant because, I mean, of all the adversity he's gone through this year, I know that he's been, in, you know, sort of injury prone for his little his little amount of time that he's been in the NBA. Um, he had an injury earlier this year, and then you know, with the suspension, and then that last little injury at the end of the year, it's just a constant buildup. And you know, he wanted to. He's a competitor. He wants to be out there and play. I know as much as as a lot of people try to read his body language or try to understand what he's thinking like we know that John Morant wants to be out there on that floor if he's actually in pain he's in pain so I I do think it is a lot he has a lot on his plate and a lot going on but at the same time I still have trust and a vision that John Morant is going to come out there and give his 110 percent every single night no matter who's he matched up against or who he's faced at the end of the day he ha he understands that he is the leader here in Memphis and that the team Actually, like they 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 root behind him. Like they're gonna try 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 their best and elevate their game behind their leader leader. And I do think after this offseason, he probably is gonna take a little bit more time for himself to clear his head because it's been a long season for him with with the fiascos that's going on and a, and a lot that's on his plate. But I still feel like that he's still gonna be that that competitor that's gonna give it out on the floor every single night. I think it's not just Ja, though. I think top to bottom, this whole organization is worn out with this season. Like, it, is, it has been full of ups and downs from the very beginning. I don't think anybody's willing to throw in the towel and say, let's let's all go. We're not going to Cancun together, but, like, let's all have our separate vacations. We need some time apart. It's been a wild season. And, like, if I'm – like, think about being a teammate, especially a guy like Jaron Jackson, who has had, in my opinion, a breakout season. He's been a defensive player of the year. He had an awesome game one. All of the news has been about John Morant. It's all that the national media talks about with this team. You were completely overshadowed by this 
you know, a, rightfully so, an incredible player, but all this drama that's off the court when all you do is just show up and handle your business and be one of the best two-way players in the entire league. And, like, if I was Jaron, I'd be like, damn, I'm ready for this to be over. Like, I'm, I'm playing a role in a position that I'm not even supposed to be playing because one of my other teammates, Steven Adams, is hurt too. And, oh, yeah, Brandon Clark is hurt too. And, like, I'm the only big who's really left, and I have to do all the dirty work. I have to do all the rebounding, and I have to anchor the defense. And, oh, by the way, I also now have to be our number one offensive player because yeah. everybody is hurt now. And, like, I would be fed up with it too. I don't think anybody on this team has any quit in them. Like, that's just not what the Memphis Grizzlies, like, ethos is. Like, I think they're going to fight to the very end, even if this goes to a seven-game series. I think it's going to be competitive the whole way. But I wouldn't blame anybody. If I'm Taylor Jenkins, if I'm Jaron, even if I'm Zach Kleiman, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for a two-week vacation from all this stuff that we've gone through the whole year. I wouldn't blame him at all. So I don't think it's just Ja. I understand why he would be the most frustrated, but I think everybody, um, you know, has been through a lot this season. Um, so I, I would totally understand that. Well, let me ask you guys, because the name of the show, The Core Four, right, named after such a beloved era in Memphis Grizzlies basketball. But I never felt like those teams – if you really, really felt deep in your heart, like that they were going to win the championship, there was a sweetness to those teams, like that we made the playoffs seven years in a row, went to the Western Finals at one time, and they, they were really like not overachievers, but like, like really like lunch pail kind of team, man. They came and worked; they got every ounce of their ability. I felt, uh, you know, from their talent and their hard work, and and it was so much fun. Coming into the season as the number two seed last year in the playoffs of the 56-win team, the expectations weren't just make the playoffs. So it's been a little bit of a slog this year, right? Like, not it's not it's not been a super fun season. And they mm. lost five, what, five? I think won 51 games, five less than last year. The whole John Morant stuff, the injuries, even Jaron to start the year, and then what we see with Clark and Adams. So I, you talk about, you know, two-week vacation – maybe the fans sort of need it too. It, it just hasn't felt like, because it's interesting. People say, well, you know, we had a great year with the number two seed. We're not the number two seed in the West. We're not the second best team in the West. If you really look at the rosters coming into place, everybody knows that we kind of hide behind, like we're the number two seed. Vegas has us well far down the list of NBA title favorites. And Vegas is the one you listen to because they don't have any play in this other than to win money. The way the West played out, is that we became the number two seed because we were relatively consistent when all other teams were finding themselves and they found themselves. Now, look up the bottom of the West playoffs is a, is a, a landmine. Yeah, let's talk about the rest of the playoffs. Um, let's move on to our next segment. I feel like we, we've torn up the Grizzlies a whole lot here. So let's move on. Let's um, take it to the whole league and let's give out some hot takes um, from the first set of playoff games we saw. All right, hot takes. It is Monday. We are recording. Mondays are always for overreacting, guys. There were a couple, like there, there were a couple of those home teams that lost that I was surprised by. There were some other, you know, not so surprising results. But like there's a lot of things that I've kind of flipped on, and I find myself feeling very, very much like I, I am overreacting to game ones. So let's give out some hot takes from around the league. Uh Xavier, I'll start with you. What do you got? I got who said that old school basketball is dead in the playoffs? That Knicks versus Cavs game, bro. War. If you think about, if you like real deal, miss the old days of straight grueling defense, mid range jump shots, you know, straight rebound physicality, that Knicks and Cavs, that's going to go down. Every game is going to go down to the wire because they're going to take difficult shots. You're both got. Two great defensive-minded coaches. You got great defensive players out there on the court. 
And then as well, like you have great finishers who's closers on each team in which you got Jalen Brunson and you have Donovan Mitchell. I am so surprised that the Knicks came out on top on the first game. Like the way that Jalen Brunson, he closed that game is it's like, man, like the mouths, like what the heck, bro? Y'all struggling now. Y'all have failed to make the playoffs this year. He wasn't even asking for that much money when he wanted the the uh the extent the extension. And y'all was y'all didn't want to give it to him. Like, oh my gosh, like the Mavericks has to feel like even more and more crazy about that every single year of of, of letting Jalen Brunson slip. But it, it just goes to show you though, like these younger teams, they're just not they're just not ready, like right off the rip. Because Evan Mobley, you know, he's top three in the defensive player category, but man. He was getting pushed around over there. You had Isaiah Hardenstein, Mitchell Robinson, and, and Julius Randle. Man, they was out rebounding both uh, of, of Evan Mobley and um, Jared Allen. Like those guys, they're going to have to grow up pretty quick if they want to sustain and, and win with with the Knicks. Because you know the Knicks always are known as a, as a physical team, especially when it comes towards playoff time. But I'm, I'm really surprised about that. And you know, I got to give love to the Kings, though, man. The Kings beat the Warriors. De'Aaron Fox, we already know that new ward, the clutch player of the year, that's going straight to him. I don't see why they got to bring so much suspense about that. It's just ridiculous how he's able to take over the game. Shout out to his backcourt partner, his old backcourt partner from college, Malik Monk. Malik Monk had him a nice game off the bench. And, you know, it's pretty ironic. Like, Draymond Green had said in the press conference, it's similar to Desmond Bain, like, if we stop, well, you can't have a Malik Monk come off the bench and score 30 points. Same thing with, you know, with, with us, with, with the Lakers having Rui come off the bench, score 29 points. But, man, I think the Warriors, they still got their hands full on this one. Like, and that, it's just going to be an offensive juggernaut every single night for that, for that series. Yeah, and shockingly, like, Golden State's favored tonight. Uh, last I checked, they were up to a two-point favorite. They opened up about one, one and a half, something like that. So, um, yeah, Vegas, as, as Dave just mentioned, also like kind of leading towards the Warriors winning tonight, which I think is is surprising. The Kings have been really good, and their offense is incredible. They don't play any defense, but they're awesome at home as well. They have an awesome crowd. Um, you know, I, I I had something similar about that Cavs and uh, Knicks game. I, I'm with you. I, I think I think we can say I think it's fair in this segment, the hot take segment, to say that the Knicks won that trade for one game, at least. <laughs> like, like I know they didn't trade for each other, but Donovan Mitchell was the other guy that they kind of wanted this offseason. And instead, they end up with, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson, who was just the second-best player on a Western Conference Finals team a year ago. And we've seen Donovan Mitchell be the best player or at least the best offensive player on several playoff teams in the Utah Jazz and go nowhere. So, like, I, I, I love that move from them. I think Jalen Brunson is an incredible player. And, yeah, through one game, <laughs> the, the uh, Knicks made the right move bringing in Jalen Brunson over uh, Donovan Mitchell. Dave, what kind of hot takes you got? I have uh, two hot takes today. Uh, so, the first one I'm going to start with is we talk a lot how our beloved Memphis Grizzlies are the best young team in the NBA. And I wonder, you know, how much longer do we get to say that? Because, right, in fact, the youngest team in the NBA at 23.4 average years of age coming into the season is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And even though they came up short in their play-in hopes of making the playoffs, that's a pretty nice young roster. That that backcourt of SGA and Giddy, really, really good. I, you know, I would almost say, like, 
if 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 Oklahoma City got a call from Memphis for a jaw SGA swap straight up, it, you know, SGA is going to be first team all NBA this year. If, if it goes the way it really should, he's awesome. And you put in Lou Dort, they got got like the Jalen Williams guy we talked about on the show. Chet didn't even play this year. They're they're bushel of draft picks. I mean, even like Ujman Dang, who I saw in the summer league last year, like was like like 20 years old. And he he can play. I, Isaiah, like they got a really, really high-end young team. So it's interesting. We also have the Grizzlies. Oh, we're the best young team in the NBA. I I, have, I don't know. I'm very, very curious, guys, next year to see where the Oklahoma City Thunder go a year from now when Chet comes back, another draft pick, and see how they kind of shape the roster. Maybe get a veteran or two to, to sprinkle in there. But that backcourt of Giddy and, and SGA. I, I mean, I love Bain and Morant, but, man, they're really, really talented. And it could, could be a great rivalry for years. My second hot take, and I want to give you, Matt, some credit. Because one of the things you took some abuse from this year was, ha-ha, you said the Grizzlies were a play-in team. Ha-ha-ha, what a dumb show. We're all a bunch of dummies. Well, well, really now. Because if you look at FanDuel, the Grizzlies are a plus 3,000 to win the NBA title. Behind, Phoenix, Denver, Golden State, the Lakers, and tied with the Clippers. So if you rank them out, that puts us at six, not too far from the play-in. You know, we, again, we had a good regular season to get that number two seed, but a lot of it was because what happened to Golden State and the reshaping of the Lakers and the Durant trade, and he got hurt. And, and the Clippers haven't been healthy all year. Dallas falling out from the Western Conference Finals to out of the play-in. You know, so I'm just saying – your take on the Grizzlies maybe being a playing team was not as wildly out of bounds as we may think. And the Lakers are favored in this series. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think my, 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 what I'm really trying to say is context matters. You know, not, not everything is just, Oh, look, we're the number two seed. Aren't we? What a great year. Coach of the year for Jenkins. Ah. Yeah. When you said you were going to give me credit for a take, I was like, Oh man, he's about to jump on board and, crush the new jaw one colorway that just came out <laughs> or, or say, dude, you were so right. Jaron did have a breakout. Uh, yeah. That was one of those weird, like, I, I don't know about you guys, if you see it a lot, but like, that was one of those weird Twitter things where like one person says something and then people use that as like, everybody is saying it. Nobody else said they were going to be a playing team to my knowledge. Like I didn't see skip Bayless or anybody saying like that, but I feel like there are some other people on Grizzlies Twitter who are always like, uh, yeah, people were picking this team to be a play-in team. I said it, and I, I don't really know that. I'm not, like, saying I was – I'm a genius for saying it by any means, but that was, like, one of those weird Twitter things where I, I do – I kind of – I do kind of feel validated. Uh, it, it is only because we had so many injuries at this point. Like, this is a play-in roster now if you look at, you know, who all is not playing and, and, and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, it was just a product of, like, the Grizzlies were a consistent roster throughout the season who had gone through things the, the season prior, you know, filling in and having a great record without Ja to where, like, they could just overcome stuff like that. And, yeah, I, 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 uh, I appreciate the credit for that one. <laughs> I don't know that right, well, I don't, and I don't think you were necessarily saying anything bad because the play in the West is a lot of really good teams. Mm. You know, and, and the Grizzlies are a good team. There's no question. They're a very, very good, very high-level NBA basketball team. But these other teams in, that the Vegas has in front of them are really good, too. And they have some of the legendary players of our generation now, you know, that are getting healthy. You know, Curry's still great. Durant is great. LeBron, you know, they, these are not YMCA teams. You know, they, these are really high-level NBA players. So it, I don't think what you were saying, though, is necessarily was a slight against the Grizzlies, as some people took it. It was more the West is – Got some, got some real talent. 
Yeah, and um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take that and pivot into this uh, into one of my hot takes, and, and I have a couple of them that are not necessarily fully formed. They may be some 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 halfway cooked hot takes. They might be lukewarm, but but one I want to start with here is we way overrated this Grizzlies depth coming into this season. I think it was something that we had heralded for the past two or three seasons. Like, look at, you know, they have the, the, the best backup point guard in basketball. And look at Brandon Clark as a seventh man. He can score so well for him. And look at all these rookies who are showing a lot of promise. And now I will get, you know, I, you have to mention that injuries are a part of it. But they're just running out of dudes, man, that you can play. The fact that we're counting on David Roddy to step up, to have a big second game, to even give us a chance to win that game is troubling. He's a rookie. I love David Roddy as much as you do, Xavier, and I'm with you. I want to see him play at least 15 minutes in game two, and he probably will just due to injuries. But, like, these guys are just – they're just not good enough in the bench. Aldama had a great season. He's a great story. I really like him, and I hope that he's a mainstay in the roster for a couple years for sure. But, like, he can't be a guy out there for 24 minutes for you in a playoff series. The bench, the bench depth was just far too underrated. And, and, and re- remind yourself, like, Santi – Excuse me, overrated, not underrated. I and Santi was a starter to begin the year because of Jaron Jackson's injury, and now I think that we've come down to playoff time. There are just other teams around this league who I like their bench depth a lot more. And look at what the Lakers did, man. They had one of the worst, like wherever you want to start, like three, three through ten, or three through fifteen, or four through fifteen, whatever you want to say. They had terrible bench depth to start the season and flipped the whole thing around in one trade deadline and one, you know, in, in a couple moves and they they've saved their entire roster. And that's kind of what the Grizzlies needed to do at this point over the summer is, is totally overhaul this second unit, you know, and some of these deep bench guys to have a chance to, to compete. And, and, you know, it comes back to something that you were just talking about, Dave, the, the team is too young to compete for a championship at this point. Like, and, and, and you were talking about, I looked this up too, for whatever reason, because it stuck out to me. They came into the season as like the fifth youngest team. They got younger by getting rid of Danny Green too. Right. Like they're, they're, they're simply too young. They are not ready. They don't have guys on the bench who you can rely on because it is guys like Aldama and Zaire and, and David Roddy and all these other super young guys who don't have the experience. So I just think the Grizzlies um, depth was, was far too overrated coming in to the season. That was, that was a long monologue about how I don't like the, the depth of the Grizzlies right now. But anyways, other, some other stuff, um, you know, another hot take looking forward. I think this could be the end of golden state. If they end up losing the Sacramento series, it seems like, you know, there was some weird stuff. Jordan Poole was saying about the, about the, the, you know, the older leaders of their team. And they've obviously struggled on the road all season long. And that could speak to, you know, not having, not buying into the leadership anymore. They're way, way, way over the cap coming into the next season as well. So I think it could be the end of at least this version of the Golden State Warriors. I think Draymond seems like he already has one foot out the door. So I'm I'm, uh, interested to see what that team looks like in the future. Jimmy Butler, this is a take I've had for a while, and I've said it on this show. Jimmy Butler, best playoff player we've seen over the last, you know, since the bubble. He's just been incredible, dude. I love that guy, all-time foxhole guy. They kind of got away with one because Giannis got hurt so, so early, but that's going to be a dogfight, too. That's another super physical series uh, out in the East. And uh, I'm confident now more than ever in Denver. I know it's been wide open the whole season. I uh, did not like what I saw from Phoenix. Again, these are all overreactions to one games. I didn't like how Phoenix closed that game. I don't, I don't think the Clippers can still win that series. Obviously, they win game one, but I don't think they can win that series without Paul George over seven games. 
And I just didn't like what I saw from Phoenix. It goes back to what I said about them before the playoffs. Like, they don't have the bench depth, and they haven't played together long enough. And I just love the path that Denver has to an NBA Finals chance yeah. right now. And and whoever comes out of the East now, we know is going to be banged up and have gone through some wars because it, it, it's it's physical out there. Uh, so those Philly, are some – Boston in round two. Could gonna be, be great. one of the best second-round series we've seen in, in, in a long, long time with two teams that really feel they can win the title. Yeah, definitely. Um, and before we close out the hot takes, I want to ask both of you guys, which of the teams with home court advantage who who lost game one do you still have the most confidence in? Uh, so that would be Memphis, Phoenix, Milwaukee, or Cleveland. Like, which of those teams do you still don't have a doubt like they're going to come back and win their series? Dave, go ahead. Uh, uh, Phoenix would be my answer just because I don't know Giannis's health update yeah. yet. Yeah, I, yeah, I still yeah. think, you know, if Giannis is going to come back and play, they're, they're going to be fine. Uh, although Miami will push them. And I think Phoenix is going to go to beat the Clippers. The other two uh, teams you mentioned, I think, are in trouble. Yeah. yeah I, I, go ahead, Xavier. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, but I agree with Dave. Well, with the Phoenix aspect, I feel like that they're still favorites to go ahead and win it. I, I know they had like a rough out and closing that game, though. Um, Milwaukee, yeah, with Giannis uh, injury up in the air, I still don't know. Um, I feel like that they're still capable of pushing, even without Giannis, they're still capable of winning that series. Uh, I still feel like the Grizzlies can make a, a, a push in this series, though. Uh, I'm still high on them. Even without, if John Morant can't play game two, I still feel like that we can push this series. They battle adversity this whole season. That's been their character this whole entire year. And like, and I don't know for some reason the Grizzlies just don't capitalize on game ones. Even going back to the Green Grind days, like, I, I made that note to myself now not to buy game one tickets. Just wait to game two or <laughs> game five, whatever. Not game ones because that's back to back years, and I, it just costs too much money for them to be losing. <laughs> but Xavier, yeah, Xavier um, if the Grizzlies he, make the finals. We're going to keep close tabs on you to make sure you're not going to game one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most we're, certainly. We're going to record a show, like, during the pregame show. Yeah, call in the ticket office and be like, do not sell this dude a ticket. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, it's, it's not worth it. Any listeners and viewers, like, it, it's been basically a, a, the scientific method has been studied. <laughs> the, the Grizzlies are not going to win. Most likely is not going to win game one. But Phoenix, though, like, I don't know, like, it's just that backcourt duel. I mean, the duel of Kevin Durant and, and, and Devin Booker is just really, like, that's that's a 2K, that's a 2K man's dream right there. <laughs> so, I, I, and then, you know, it was just great to see Kawhi and KD go at it again. Yeah. Like, that was just some fun, old-school playoff basketball, and, and that's what the playoffs is about. Like, teams going at each other, who's going to make the correct, adjustments it's really just basically a whole chess match and it, and like who's gonna make the who's gonna <laughs> make the right strike mm-hmm. yeah that's probably the right answer i think phoenix has so much firepower um despite the question marks i have for him cleveland would be by probably my second pick um you know with the health of of Giannis still up in the air but all right um all great stuff there some more hot takes for people to rip apart when they end up being wrong again. Um, so let's move on, guys. Let's go to our final segment. Let's give out some awards at the trophy case. All right, game one uh, across the league in the book. Let's give out a couple of awards here, guys. Xavier, I'll start with you. I have one award. It's for the Grizzlies aspect, and this might shake some head. Well, it might scratch a lot of people's heads, but I'm going to call this maybe I should be the first option, and that goes to Jaron Jackson Jr. 
<laughs> Reality man, Jerry Jackson has put on a, a lot of lot of character. He's developed so much this year. He's been blossoming, and offensively, he's practically unstoppable. He, uh, like he made LeBron James. LeBron started off guarding Jerry Jackson. LeBron, I mean, although he's thirty eight years old, he's always been a pretty decent defender. He had troubles guarding Jerry Jackson. They had to go ahead and put Anthony Davis on him because, you know, AD didn't want – that. Didn't. I, I'm pretty sure that Darvin Ham didn't want Anthony Davis in foul trouble. And even with AD guarding Jerry Jackson, Jerry Jackson made some great extravagant moves. And it's like, wow, like in this series, we see the attention that John Moran is drawing from Jerry Vanderbilt. Jerry Vanderbilt is denying him the ball, picking him up for 94 feet. And just basically, want, they want the Lakers want John Moran not have the ball in his hands during the offensive possession. Jared as a first option is doable because he's going to shoot at a high percentage. He's making all his shots are basically going to be at the rim, when which you know those are high percentage shots. He's either going to get fouled. I feel more comfortable with Jared making free throws than John Moran. This first option, Jaron Jackson, man, it is it is truly scary to to think. And you really think about this. Like we've discussed this on the show before. He really has never had an offseason to work on his game. Hmm. And so if he's able to be healthy this offseason, learn some different new moves, learn some more tricks, working – I feel like it's still so much part of his game to work on offensively and as well defensively, more, more so on the offense, because I feel like he can set up a lot of teammates outside the post. He needs to learn how to do that. But – Maybe it's time for him to be the first option. It's nothing wrong with that if, if it's John Moran. We look at Darius Garland with the, the Cavaliers. He was basically the first option last year. And, I mean, he has a whole backcourt partner of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell accepted it. I mean, Darius Garland allowed him to uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell to be that first option. And as well, DG has two beasts, uh, which they, they're capable of scoring as well. So, I'm not saying that it's going to be a, a smooth transition if we have Jaron Jackson to be the first option, but it was just great to see him, like, score. And even when John Morant got injured, it was just like, all right, I know Jaron was like, all right, I know I got to take control of this game. Those last five minutes, he made some good impressive plays to score. And I'm like, wow, maybe he should be our first option. So, yeah, I'm giving that award to Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, he was great. The the thing I worry about is over a seven game series, like how quickly do they adjust to that left hand, uh, you know, and make him go to his right and finish on his right. The other thing is like that's just uh, you know feeding the the ball into the post like that is just not how most offenses run. So like it's gonna have to be a heavy dose of Tyus Jaron pick and rolls in my opinion for game two. Like that that should be you know what they run every single play and if they kick it out to to Bain or or Luke in the corner and they hit a three great but yeah it's got to be Tyus and Jaron getting downhill running that pick and roll and making AD commit to one or the other and, and scoring that way but yes Jaron was awesome uh in game 1 Dave what kind of awards you got this week? Yeah, and just one final comment on that, too. Uh, one of the problems we had throughout the whole season was our execution at the end of games, and the, mm. and the Lakers did go on a 15-0 and run to end the game. That That's concerning. That's concerning as, as a problem that may reappear. But I'm going to end on a, I'm end on a, on a good note because I, I wasn't in a great mood today. So, I'm gonna, first of all, my first uh, trophy, I'm going to give out participation ribbons to the uh, Hawks, the Nets, and the, and the Wolves. Because isn't that where we are now in society? Everybody gets a trophy. Right. So we want to make sure that the, the, the Atlanta, Brooklyn and Minnesota feel good about being in the playoffs when they get swept. 
Uh, but at least they get a participation ribbon. Thanks for coming, guys. There's a new shirt for you on Fans Edge. It's 2003 playoffs. You can pick one of those up. It, my, but my, my, my favorite award today, I'm going to give out the Las Vegas Award. Because Las Vegas is my favorite city in the world. And, and I, I literally count down the days to the summer league. I love going to Vegas. And I'm going to give it to the entire city of Memphis. Because when I was getting ready for the game yesterday and they were going through the pregame stuff and showing Beale Street, and it looked great. Like Beale Street looked like so much fun yesterday. There was great live music out there, it looked like. And it seemed like everybody was having a really, really, really good time. Xavier, you said inside the building it was pretty electric for the game, which is always, always nice to hear. But it made me really want to be there. And I, I was like, oh, man, like Memphis just looks like the, the best place to be right now in the world because the fans are, are excited and Beale Street looked beautiful. Looked like a lot of people partying and having fun. So congrats. The city of Memphis gets my Las Vegas award, my favorite place to be. I had a very similar feeling, Dave. I uh, I constantly miss Memphis uh, after being back in Bristol, now my hometown. I miss it all the time. And you watch, you know, the, the warm-ups and the pregame stuff, and you see Xavier interviewing fans out the side of the stadium, and it's beautiful mm -hmm. out. And I'm like, damn. I could really crush some barbecue and watch the Grizzlies right now on Beale Street and, um, and and be very happy. I'm going to be quick with my words this week because Xavier kind of touched on two of mine in the previous segment. Um, I had the Go Bear Kessel Award for winning a, a, an offseason move, and that was for the Jalen Brunson-Donovan Mitchell deal. Uh, the Vinny Johnson microwave bench score that I wish was on the Grizzlies, obviously Malik Monk, incredible game from him, a huge part of that Kings um, team and, and that win against Golden State in game one. Uh, so my one trophy that we really haven't touched on yet, uh, Dave, I think you'll like this one, the Henry Hill Award for looking like you're ha you're on a uh, constant cocaine binge. That goes to <laughs> Clippers owner Steve Ballmer. My God, what an what a just a bundle of energy. Just loves to be in the in the crowd, in the mix, yelling during free throws. Uh, just an all time character. Did you guys ever see the video when they uh, a couple months ago when they were like unve unveiling the plans for their new arena? And he was like, toilets. There's going to be so many toilets. <laughs> He's just an insane, insane person. And it's awesome that he has so many billions of dollars that he can own uh, a basketball team and just be a hilarious character and a side character for us to all watch um, during the playoffs. And so that goes out to Steve Ballmer. Shout out to him, the Henry Hill. That's, a, that's a great award. That's a great award from a great movie. And uh, yeah, great award. He, 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 it's fun to have characters as owners, right? Cuban and, and 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 uh, Balmer and it's it's fun. They, they make the game interesting. Yeah, oh, I, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty crazy. Like that Kawhi Leonard plays for the Clippers, and you know he's such a, a guy that does show Total no opposite. emotion whatsoever. And you remember like the first time when they he signed Kawhi, he was so excited, and Kawhi was just looking at him like, bro, I I'm I'm, I'm just here to play ball, and that's it. Not show no emotion. I'm here to hoop. Ballmer like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Kawhi like, what a quarterback, man. I'm just ready to hoop. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, there's nothing ahead. more depressing than cheering for a team that's badly owned, that the ownership doesn't have their act together. And, and we, you know, we can get frustrated about the series, whatever, but we have a good owner, and he's, he's, mm. he's put good basketball people in place and basically allowed them to do their job. So I think the future of the Grizzlies in that regard is, is, is really, really good. I live in an area, guys, where the Washington Commanders are now being sold. And I can't even tell you, like, it's a big football area here, how ecstatic people are that Dan Snyder is selling this team because he's really flushed them down the toilet. 
not just on the field the last 20 years, but like, it, like there's courtroom drama, there's the problems with the, the, the headquarters is right down the street. Like it's, it's a real problem inside and outside the building, getting new ownership in place can really help and clean some of that up. And, but it's hard to get teams sold, right? I mean, <laughs> you own a team, they have to be forced out almost all the time. Uh, teams don't come on the market very often. So the good news for the Grizzlies, right, is we have an owner willing to spend these hired good basketball people. I think that was your second mention of the Charlotte Hornets without saying them by name that time. Yeah. With <laughs> a terrible owner. A good um, drinking game. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, shout out Steve Ballmer. Toilets. Toilets for everybody. Let's wrap up the show here, guys. Uh, Dave, you're plug your socials for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Zaytime Takes. Or, uh, and as well, you can find me on TikTok at underscore XZAY. As well, um, Blow City Media, we're going to be having a watch party. Yeah. Um. The third game. What is that? The twenty second, I believe. Yeah, I got it right here. I was, I was gonna plug it as well. That's, that's great stuff out of you. We're, we're yeah. plug it. We got to plug that website. It is uh, Saturday, April twenty second at High Cotton uh, Beer for the Lakers and Grizzlies games. And there's actually some pretty good deals. There's gonna be giveaways and a um, couple dollars off. And if you get if you're an insider, you get your first beer free. So all kinds of great deals for that. So definitely come check them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there, and then as well, I'll be interviewing you guys, fans, if you show up and, and whatnot. It's, it should be some great time and great, great, great environment, fun to uh, finally meet some of the viewers or listeners out there. Absolutely, Dave. Plug that Twitter for us. Yeah, it's uh, DLB nineteen thirty three eight. I'm a little jealous. I won't be at the watch party Saturday. That sounds like a lot of fun. So to, to compensate, I'm going to make sure my wife buys the beer and gives me my first beer for free. I'm, I don't have to get off the couch. That sounds like go. a great time. Wish I was there. That's that's great. Um, yes. All right. So check me out at at Matt H. Gill uh, on Twitter as well. Bluff City Media on Twitter is at Bluff City underscore media. Again, check them out for all that written content. Uh, tons of great video content as well coming out of Bluff City Media, not just Grizzlies, Tiger stuff, too, and everything that's going around going on around Memphis. So check them out. Thank you guys for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. Nail, Coffin, this baby is over.